Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another beautiful day and episode with Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so glad to be speaking with all of you today. We have such a lineup and amazing guest on the show, which I can't wait to get into. But before we get started, I wanted to let everyone know about our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup, quote unquote, a support group. But it's anything but a support group in the traditional sense. It's pretty much all of us diagnosed with breast cancer that get together every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern via Zoom, and we just hang out and support each other. Yes, of course, we talk about cancer, but we also talk about everything else that's going on in the world and in our personal lives. It's an amazing tribe. So if you are interested, you can check us out at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. We have recently launched our NBC Sunday series. Every other Sunday, we are hosting a live webinar series that is also streamed on Facebook, on our Facebook page, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, and we talk about all specific topics related to the metastatic breast cancer community. This ranges from dealing with grief, talking to your children about cancer, preparing an estate planning, the difference between palliative care and hospice, etc. So this is just a great series. Obviously, it is specific to NBC, but of course, all stages, all people are always welcome. Today on Breast Cancer Conversations, I am very excited to have Dr. Jonathan Jackson join us. Dr. Jonathan Jackson is the founder and executive director of the Community Access Recruitment and Engagement also known as CARE, Research Center at Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, which investigates the impact of diversity and inclusion on the quality of human subject research and leverages deep community enrichment to build trust and overcome barriers to clinical trial participation. Dr. Jackson has become a well-known representative to communities of color and dozens of affiliated organizations, particularly regarding clinical trial participation. It is an honor to have you here. I know our paths have crossed multiple times over the last couple of years in various uh, cancer circles and breast cancer circles. So it's such a pleasure and honor to have you here today. Welcome to the conversation. It's, um, it's a real honor to to actually be able to, to sit and have a conversation with you. Um, I remember all of the times where our paths crossed and we were so excited and we were like, oh, we've got to, we got to find a way to work together. And, yes. uh, you know, I guess, uh, with the, with COVID-19, this is about as close as we can get. Um, but, uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm the director of the care research center. Uh, the, the long name is a bit of a mouthful. So we just say, just call it care. Uh, cause that is what we are focused on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know that when it comes to, to thinking about, uh, the future of medicine. There are all of these terms that are thrown around, and it sounds scary, and it sounds strange, and it sounds weird, and it's it's hard to keep up with the latest breakthroughs and understanding. You know what what do my genes have to do with all of this? Um, but you know the the I think the best way to describe precision medicine, um, you know, or, or thinking more properly about personalized medicine is by thinking about other parts of your life where you mm -hmm. do get, you know, precision treatment or precision um, engagements. And we, we sort of take it for granted. Um, and there are two great examples of this uh, that I think we're all familiar with is for those of us who wear glasses or contacts, 
Uh, we recognize that if we go to see our eye doctor or if we go to get a, a, an annual checkup, um, we aren't just given uh, one type of, of prescription uh, that is supposed to work for, for everyone. Usually you go and you see uh, your eye doctor and they will um, run you through some tests and they'll ask you some questions and they'll figure out what prescription helps you see best. And that's something that we really take advantage of. Uh, and that's something that we expect. So when you put on a pair of contacts or you put on a pair of glasses uh, that you can see uh, in a way that works really well for you. Similarly, if we go to uh, a, a store, JCPenney's or Foot Locker, uh, and we're looking for um, uh, something to wear on our feet, um, we aren't all given the same size. There aren't even, it's not even a matter of small, medium, and large. Uh, we have a number that's associated with the, the size of our foot. Uh, and if you're really fancy, you'll have a number for the length and you'll have a letter for the width of your foot. Um, but, uh, you know, if we go into a store and they don't have our shoe size, um, we don't settle for less. We don't settle for um, getting a shoe that's in medium. Uh, we usually look for something that is very, very targeted to us. So th the same thing applies when it comes to our medicine, when it comes to our health. The idea is that we should be taking medicines uh, and putting those in our body in a way that, that works just for us. Um, and so it is, it is the natural evolution of uh, the world of healthcare. And usually when you talk to people about it, uh, you know, they sort of nod and they're like, well, you know, why doesn't it work that way already? Um, and the answer is you know, bodies are complicated and we didn't have the information before. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are these large studies like the All of Us Research Study, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, that are really designed to make sure uh, that we do have the kind of information to be as precise with our uh, as super advanced medic medications and therapies as we are with our shoe size. Um, and so that's that's the next goal. And it really will set the stage for uh, the next several decades of, of medicine. That's a really great analogy. And if it only were that easy for us to go and like measure our foot size or take an eye exam and know exactly what our prescription should be. Yeah. <laughs> what is, how do you even begin? What is the process for understanding what that quote unquote shoe size should be? Yeah. So it, it turns out that uh, the people who are listening to your show now are, are maybe better suited to understand how this process starts than anyone else. Some kinds of cancer um, are uh, attract more research dollars than others. Uh, and it turns out that that is true for cancer compared to pretty much every other disease or disorder or malady that we have. Um, so there's, there's more federal dollars, more research dollars going to cancer than anything else. Um, so what that means uh, in, in terms of practically speaking as a scientist is that cancer is the most advanced. Uh, the way that we think about and characterize and treat cancer is more advanced than any other uh, disease uh, that we have that you know that we can kind of combat today. And so what that means is that every other disease will follow in the footsteps of what we've done with cancer. Uh, and so when you are talking about uh, gene-based cancer therapies or immunotherapies uh, mm -hmm. that are based on an individual's immune system or their genetics, um, that is the blueprint for what we're going to be doing with precision medicine. So the idea is, is sort of taking the, the, uh, all of the breakthroughs that we've had, especially in the last seven, eight years in the cancer space, and starting to distribute that level of technology um, for every kind of chronic health condition. Uh, and it turns out that 
we're starting to see the fruits of that because, um, you know, I don't know how closely people are following the COVID-19 vaccine race, um, but uh, the, the new trials from Moderna and Pfizer um, are partially gene-based. Mm. Uh, and so that is why people are so excited. So what, what we're finding out is uh, the, these immuno-based therapies that have revolutionized the world in cancer um, and seem to be revolutionizing our ability to come up with an effective COVID-19 vaccine uh, might soon revolutionize uh, literally every kind of disease or disorder or even uh, lack of wellness um, you know, that you can think of. So we're, we're talking about heart disease and diabetes and hypertension and rare disease and chronic pain. Um, all of these could stand to benefit um, from, from thinking a little bit about uh, reprogramming your genes. And a lot of that has to do um, with, with regulating, uh, this is going to sound kind of weird, but it's, it's about regulating the energy in your bodies, mm. uh, which sounds very sort of mystic. And, I'm totally and, into and it. I love woo. it. <laughs> but it, it, you know, it, it turns out that a lot of what goes wrong in our bodies is, is poorly regulating um, inflammation and an inflammatory response. Um, so we're either, you know, it's either overactive or underactive or, um, it's, it is, uh, it is designed in a way that makes it, um, uh, way too generic a response rather than being targeted, uh, to certain parts of the body. Um, and so if you have, uh, immune or gene-based therapies, you can sort of dial up your body's natural ability to fight these diseases or, or kind of give it a little bit of a boost. Uh, and so precision medicine, um, you know, this, this wave of the future that I'm talking about is nothing more um, complicated than giving your own immune system a little bit of an upgrade uh, and, and enabling it to, to fight a wider range of diseases, uh, including chronic diseases that, uh, that are tough for it to recognize uh, or engage with. So it's, it, is, it is by and large leveraging what our body already does best and taking it to the next level for the, the problems that we're still struggling with. Yeah, I think you bring up some great points too. When I was trying to understand precision medicine, just in general, it was looking not just at your genes, but also your environment and your lifestyle. And I think that's just so important as we take a holistic approach to medicine and helping and serving like the patient community. So it's not just necessarily your specific DNA, but the entire makeup of, of your person. Yeah, so we, we call that epigenetics or epigenomics. Uh, so if, if any of your listeners have heard of that term, it's sort of recognizing um, that, that scientists and researchers nowadays, uh, you know, you, you hear this old debate of nature versus nurture. Um, I, I think we've all moved past that and we, we now recognize that it is nature and nurture working together. So your genes never operate in a vacuum. Uh, they, they really work together with your environment uh, with the you know with the world around you, uh, both in the short term and the long term, uh, to affect what your health looks like. So you're you're absolutely right that when we when we think about personalized and precision medicine, uh, it really is all about the genes and your body in a specific environment and making sure that we're taking all of that into consideration. Yes, and. Thank you so much for explaining all of that. Another question that I have, because these terms can be so confusing for the layperson, right? We hear personalized medicine, it can be interchanged with precision medicine. You were talking about the immunotherapies. What, where does targeted therapy come into this? The idea of thinking about targeted therapies 
um, is, is very much in the wheelhouse of precision medicine. There is some debate about the difference between precision medicine and personalized medicine. And your question about targeted therapies is really getting at the heart of distinguishing the, you know, the two from each other. Um, so, so precision medicine is sort of the idea of being able to leverage a targeted therapy that affects uh, you know, a certain receptor or a certain gene or a certain protein. Uh, and then personalized medicine is recognizing which of those targeted therapies you need to use. Um, and, and recognizing that for some people, uh, targeting one aspect of, of uh, you know, our immune system's function is best, uh, but for other folks, they might need to do something else, um, even if it's combating the same disease. So, so targeted therapies are very much in this world of recognizing uh, what precision medicine um, is, is all about. So uh, that's, that's a part of it. And then combining different targeted therapies gives you personalized medicine. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference between genetics and genomics? It was the huge exploration of the Human Genome Project, which took a couple decades to complete, where they actually did the sequencing of the entire gene sequence of the human body. And I believe it was in 2003, which... I know, again, it was also just a couple decades ago, but it seems pretty recent still in my mind that we're still discovering our genes, how they're responding to each other, how they interact with each other, the DNA makeup and all of this. Can you talk to us a little bit about the genetic sequencing? And my understanding also is that dramatically that the price for genetics um, has exponentially decreased over the years. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard some crazy statistics, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, at one point, uh, some of the genetic work that we were doing uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, costs thousands or tens of thousands, or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, those same analyses uh, are, are pennies on the dollar or fractions of a penny now. Um, so the, the technology has has really matured, and it's become... Uh, so cheap that we can, instead of, uh, you know, doing this in large laboratories, we can do it uh, in our own homes, we can do it on individual people. And that is really what has driven um, this focus on on shifting from genetics to genomics. Mm. Uh, and the difference between the two is, is genetics, we're, we're talking about specific genes, uh, you know, and so when we talk about uh, risk for disease or um, certain mutations that may put us at risk of cancer, we may be referring to one or a small handful of genes. Um, when we are talking about genomics, we're talking about all of the genes put together. And there are a mm. few different flavors of that. Um, you know, if we're looking at whole genome sequencing or whole exome sequencing, um, but uh, it, when we're talking about genomics, we're talking about the entire DNA sequence put together in a way that... Um, uh, will will let you think about how groups of genes interact and work uh, together. So it's it's just um, instead of thinking about if you think about a, a gene as a house, uh, a genome is a whole city. When we're when we're talking about uh, genetics and genomics, uh, we're talking about different kinds of things. And because uh, you know we we had that that huge human genome project that everyone was talking about. Um, I guess 20 years ago, and this is the this is the the direct descendant of that work. So we map the human genome. Uh, you probably remember hearing about something called junk DNA. Uh, we don't really use that term anymore as as research scientists. Uh, we we think about it as as um, you know different parts of the genome uh, that are important that we just don't understand yet. Um, 
but uh, the 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 fact of the matter is that um, because we map the human genome, we're now directly in. Uh, you know, we we have this ability um, to leverage what we've learned and trying to make everybody as healthy as we can make them. Uh, and it, it's not about changing your DNA or or trying to play God. Um, it's more about sort of recognizing that everybody's a little bit different. And so our medicines should also be a little bit different in order to work really well. Yeah, absolutely. I know when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, one of the first questions my oncologist asked was a question around genetic testing. And if I wanted yeah. to get genetics uh, testing done. This past February, um, my team and I, we presented actually at a bioethics conference because we were investigating some of the ethical decisions around genetic testing, right? No one actually, like you want to do everything you can to help and, you know, get the best treatment and chemotherapies and immunotherapies for you. And I remember meeting with my genetics counselor. We had like a two hour conversation. It was very in depth. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where like, once I found out the information, first of all, you can't unknow the information. So my recommendation <laughs> to everyone out there is to get life insurance before you get genetic testing. And then because there's still some discrimination that can happen once you know yes. this information. And actually, I fall into that boat. No one gave me that advice previously. And I went through and got genetic testing specifically for I think I had I know you can do so many panels as well. Mm -hmm. But I think I ended up doing an eight panel um, test, which studied for the BRCA1, BRCA2, which I think are the most common, but then also some of the less common ones, such as PELB, CHUK2, ATM, and a couple others as well. And it was just very interesting because once I found out that information, it then needed to be communicated to my family, my family members, mm -hmm. my um, you know nieces, my cousins, my mom. So they weren't necessarily ready to know the information either. And so I think it just kind of presents itself as, yes, you want to collect and have all this information at our fingertips, but then what is the longer lingering implication that this information is is lending itself towards? So I think it's very exciting, but I'm so glad that we can have this like frank conversation on, you know, some of the the perils of genetics and the security yeah, and around absolutely. sensitive information. Yeah, I, I, Laura, I think what you've touched on is, is recognizing that with this new frontier, with this new technology, um, there are a whole lot of new um, ethics considerations. There, there's a, you know, there's, uh, you know, a kind of a, a whole new frontier of what's polite. Um, you know, so if I get my genome sequence and I find out that I might high risk uh, for a bunch of things, um, do I... Am I obligated to tell my family? Am I obligated to not tell my family? Um, you know, how do I have that conversation? Um, you know, if mm -hmm. if if I give my research, if I give this information for research, that also means that I'm technically giving part of their information for research. And so, you know, yeah. you have to have these conversations. And you know, and and one of the things that that I'm here to talk about is is the All of Us Research Study, um, which is really, you know, I think the most thoughtful way of starting to explore and untangle this this really messy future that's before us um, because yes. you know the 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 you know whether we like it or not this stuff is coming this right. stuff is is largely already here um, you know if you get testing from ancestry.com or 23andme um, it's not as sophisticated as as um, the information that you get back from something like all of us um, but the the truth of the matter is that 
you know, a future where medicine is based on your genes is, is just around the corner. And so, you know, it, we are certainly encouraging people to, to get involved with the study, um, you know, to, so that their information uh, can be, so you can learn this information in a protected way, you know, from a group that uh, of nerdy scientists like me. So we don't know how to sell your information and we also, we're also not permitted to. Uh, so I wouldn't even know where to go to, to like sell that stuff, if, even if I could. Um, but, you know, so we're, we're much more interested in the science uh, than turning a profit. Um, and, uh, you know, we are so eager to, to share that, that information back in full uh, with the people who are participating in the program. So, um, you know, so, so all of us is really working on uh, developing this, this future of personalizing precision medicine. Uh, where it may be possible to develop targeted therapies uh, for rare diseases, uh, for groups who fall into this category of, of maybe uh, developing, uh, you know, a, a rare cancer or a, or a certain kind of cancer that, that tends to only affect um, certain populations. Um, you know, right now, the way the world works is there has to be, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical company that is willing to take a risk on developing a medicine that might work uh, for, for 5,000 or 10,000 people. Um, and then they'll have to price that drug so that they can turn a profit. And it's really unfair. It's a really unfair system that we have. Um, but with the All of Us Research Study, we are trying to learn about as many people as possible, as many targets and therapies as possible, so that you know the, the future of uh, where we do have personalized and precision medicine, it can be done cheaply, it can be done equitably, uh, it can be done in such a way that that you know you know no one is left behind, and you know that exactly. I think is is really the the goal of, of research studies like this is to make sure that everybody has a as a shot um, at being well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the All for Us research program? We're diving right into it, learning what precision medicine is, how we can have a voice in this, and really get the word out there because yeah, it's really great for for scientists to have access to data, but if there's not equal representation, how can we feel so secure about the outcomes? Yeah, exactly. You know, so um, so just to, to, to give a little bit more information, um, so this was formally announced in the 2015 State of the Union uh, address by by President uh, Barack Obama, uh, who who talked about uh, developing a an approach to healthcare that works for everyone. Uh, and it turns out, if you want to develop an approach to healthcare that works for everybody. Um, that there is a, a need to make sure that everybody's represented uh, in your in your baseline data group in your in the in this era of big data. Um, we do not have a great track record of making sure that everyone is involved. Um, and so, when everyone's not involved, uh, we we have this unfortunate truth of of developing medicines for whoever we can get information from. And uh, so that means that um, you know the All of Us Research Study, which is which is hoping to get a million people and That's follow awesome. them for ten years, uh, which is the, the by far the largest and most ambitious um, research study of any kind that has ever been conducted in the history of the world. Um, you know, so the the idea is that this is this is how we make everyone well, uh, but we need everybody to be involved. We need everybody to take part in the study. Uh, in order to to really achieve that goal, because without everybody being involved, um, you know, if you're not involved and if you don't know anybody that's involved, there's a really good chance that the information that we're developing from this, the information that will be the baseline um, for the next three generations of medicine, um, if you're not at that particular table, 
um, then, then you risk being left behind and not just you, but your community as well. So that's mm -hmm. why we're out here. We're, we're on your show. We're, we're giving events and we're trying to get people as, as invested and excited about this as possible. And so what do we say to people who are a little bit more nervous or shaky or, you know, as we were just talking about some of these ethical issues, you know, even myself too, there's so many apps out there now and genetic information or even opportunities to compile all of your medical records that just kind of live out there on the cloud. It's it's a little yeah. daunting, um, you know, but so I'm trying to put myself speaking personally, like, okay, it's not about me. It's about the greater community, right? Like it's no longer individual, but we can do so much more as a whole and realizing mm -hmm. it's it's not personal. But at the same time too, I think there's been a very strong um, challenge around the relationship between people in science, people in government, just kind of mm -hmm. developing some of the trust and reliability on, okay, now we actually have a new opportunity to acknowledge the past, but then also make some real positive headway. There, there are three responses that I have to that. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm out here to try to encourage people to get involved with the All of Us research study. But at the end of the day, if, if you're not sure about it, if you are, are still, if you still have concerns, then absolutely do not sign up. I would never, ever, ever ask anybody um, to, to put aside their concerns uh, in the name of the scientific project. You know, that is, that is how we have gone wrong in the past. So first of all, uh, if you have any misgivings or concerns, make sure you talk to somebody about them. You know, don't just hold them up inside. Um, but if, nobody, if, if the answers that you're getting don't make you comfortable, don't sign up. It's just as easy as that. Um, you know, but I, there, are, there are a couple of other things that I wanted to say about that particular set of concerns. Uh, so number one, uh, the All of Us Research Study is, is, um, has industry-grade industry security. Um, it is much more secure uh, than 99% of the information uh, that you regularly share with Apple or Google or Amazon on a, on a daily basis. I'm sure. Um, you know, and so it's, it, is, it is highly, highly secure. And, um, you know, the, the, the risks of like a data breach or um, the information falling into uh, you know, bad actors or, you know, hackers from another nation state, uh, they're, they're, they're astonishingly low. So um, because, the, you know, the data is hidden behind multiple firewalls, it is completely de-identified. Even if they got their hands on the information, there is no way uh, to tie that information to you specifically. It's just, it's just not possible. It's just the way that we, we store the data. So it is, it is tr it's incredibly de-identified. It's incredibly secure and encrypted. Um, but the other two things that I want to say is, number one, this is not information that we're collecting as scientists that we're just going to, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, collect to ourselves and keep to ourselves and, and sort of hoard. Um, the, the, the truth is that we are also doing this to develop a citizen science program so that you can understand, uh, you know, what's going on in your community with regard, with regard to your health. Uh, you'll get personalized individual information back. Um, and so if there is a, a need or an interest in, in advancing, uh, 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 you know, health initiatives in your community, uh, you will be able to, to interact with a data browser um, that, they are that they've been trialing um, all through 2020, and I think uh, hope to formally launch in, in uh, the early part of next year. So the goal is, is to recognize um, that this is not data that's just for, you know, scientists like me. It's for everybody. It's for, you know, so um, you can you can use this information to kind of figure out what's what's going on and 
um, understand um, you know health risks, um, uh, and you can even use it to understand whether health initiatives are being effective uh, in your community. So let's say that you open up a new park uh, and you're tracking this information, you can see uh, you know whether uh, people are uh, you know have better health outcomes. Maybe their blood pressure is going down or uh, maybe they are re reporting um, uh, more mindfulness or, or peace of mind. Um, so there, there's lots of uh, possibilities there. Um, but third, and, and I think most importantly, is that you know I am the last person uh, to to play down historical concerns about uh, medical abuses. Actually, I have a talk that you can find on YouTube uh, where I walk through a number of medical atrocities uh, against Black and African Americans in particular. Um, so, so I think I, I know those concerns fairly, fairly well, and um, I'm not saying to uh, uh, to interact with this study in spite of those concerns. Uh, when I am encouraging people to get involved, it is because of what has happened before. Um, you know, this is one of those. The, this is one of those initiatives where the world, the era of precision medicine, is coming, whether we like it or not. Um, in spite of our concerns, it is around the corner, and we can either do this um, where we are interacting with a with a bunch of affable scientists like me, um, who are who are just trying to do a good job and make sure that it works for everybody. Um, uh, or it is, you know, it is going to be in the hands of, of the tech industry. Uh, and we know that unfortunately, despite their, their intent, uh, you know, there, there are folks in biotech in the tech industry, uh, who certainly try, but I think we see that they fall, uh, they, they end up falling short of, of being truly equitable. Yeah. Um, so, so the idea is that if you are skeptical, if you are, reluctance, um, maybe you don't need to sign up for the study, but there are other ways of being involved. Maybe you can be involved in the oversight of the study. You can be involved in a community advisory board. Mm -hmm. uh, you can uh, you know, write to uh, the researchers who are running the study near you. You can write to the National Institutes of Health. Um, you know, so, so Dr. Fauci is not involved, but you know, this is something that, uh, you know, that he's certainly aware of. Mm -hmm. um, but the, you know, the idea is, is that if you have these misgivings, uh, the one thing that I would encourage you to do is to talk about it with somebody. Um, so I'm not here to sweet talk you into the study. I'm not here to, to like demand that you sign up. Uh, but I, what I am here to ask for um, is your attention. So please pay attention to this yes. project, even if you don't sign up. Um, and uh, make sure that if they are claiming that they're representing everyone in the country, make sure that's true. And if it's not mm -hmm. true, uh, then, then certainly speak up. Um, because we, we do want everybody to be counted uh, in, in some way or shape or form. That's really well said, right? We're not here to encourage people to sign up, but just to provide the education and the information so that it can be part of that conversation. And it doesn't just pass us by 10 years from now and we realize, wait, I missed an opportunity. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that is bubbling up also, so we mentioned that this is like a 10-year grant. This is something that over the next 10 years, we're trying to get a million people to participate. What happens after that 10-year period? Where does the data live? And who's responsible? Is there oversight after after the grant expires? Yeah. So so the 10 years is a, is a little bit of a, of a misnomer. So it's not a 10-year study. Oh, okay. uh, the reality is that it's probably like a 30 or 40-year study. Uh, the goal is to follow each person for at least 10 years. And mm -hmm. so you might imagine the study sort of formally launched in 2017. Somebody who signed up in 2017 will be followed through 2027. Somebody who signs up in 2020 will be followed through 2030. 
Um, so the idea is that the, the project in total will probably take um, 30 to 40 years. Uh, but the reality is that um, they're, they're right now they're asking people um, to sign up and, and to, you know, take part in surveys, um, you know, every 10 years uh, for a 10 year period of time. Um, and so, you know, during that 10 years uh, period, there are lots of things that, um, that may come and go. So uh, for those people who were signed up for the study, so, uh, you know, I also have signed up for it. Um, you know, we got a survey every month through the summer um, that was asking about COVID-19 mm. um, because there were, you know, over the summer, there were about 300,000 people in the United States that have signed up for this so far. And so that is one of the largest groups of people that you can ask about COVID concerns. Yeah. And so because the Oliva study, which was not obviously designed to look at COVID-19, um, because the researchers were able to ask about that, uh, because we were able to check in with folks, uh, we were also able to use this uh, to inform local policy, um, to, to find uh, folks that we might need to check in on. Um, you know, you, you really belong to a, like a new community when you're part of the study. Yes. And you can actually, uh, what's cool is that they have like these little survey questions. You can kind of see how you do compared to everyone else. Huh. And you can also, um, you know, in the future, um, starting next year, if you are a citizen scientist, you'll be able to go in and look at, say, like COVID-19 data in your state. Uh, or in your town, even in some cases, uh, and so this is this is something that we didn't design the study to do, um, but because so many people have been involved, uh, we're able to really take a look at these things. It's kind of the unintended consequences, right? And yeah. the byproducts. And um, a couple more questions that are coming in. What are the qualifications for someone to sign up for the All for Us Research Program? Yeah. So no, there there, there are no restrictions at, at all um, because we want everybody to be included. Uh, so, you know, the, the history of clinical research has all of these inclusion and exclusion criteria. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the only restriction is is age. Right now, we are not doing anyone under the age of 18. Uh, but that is because we are uh, reserving looking uh, at, at children uh, for a, a future part of the study. We were supposed to launch it last year. Um, but because there were concerns that people had about making sure that we do this in a way that was as safe as possible, We've delayed that to talk with more people, and then we'll be launching it later. So, so you know, in the future, you know, it's zero to 150 in terms of the age group. We really do want to be inclusive. Uh, but right now, that minimum age is, is 18. Uh, but uh, in terms of other things, like, uh, you know, there, there is a, a whole arm of a study that's looking at, um, uh, at, at sex and gender minorities. Um, so, so whether you are um, cisgendered male or cisgendered female, uh, whether you are non-binary or transgender, um, you know, there is a, a part of the study that is looking out for your health as well. Um, so so when, I, when I say that there are no restrictions apart from, you know, that legal age restriction, um, I really do mean it because we, we do want everybody to be seen in this program. I'm going to try and articulate and actually read this one Um the best okay. that I can. So certainly the built environment impacts serotonin levels. Over policing could impact baseline stress and blood pressure. Living yes. near highways and gas stations impact inflammation mm -hmm. levels and response. So the question is, how does precision medicine account for environmental factors to build the research and curate personalized treatment? Yeah, so the, the, the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, everything that was in that comment is true, but it's not the whole truth, right? Mm. So, 
Um, you know, it, the idea is that over-policing may, say, impact stress. Um, it turns out that uh, over-policing may impact a lot more than stress. Uh, it may impact, and this is where we get into the world of epigenetics mm. or epigenomics, where we recognize um, that persistent stress, for example, may affect your ability to, um, to either turn on or turn off some of those specific genes. Um, and so that is where precision medicine uh, comes into play. Because if there is a certain gene that is more likely to be impacted by, um, by social environmental factors, so not just built environment, but exposure to pollution or exposure to social forces, um, it mm. may have its impact on um, a, a particular gene, a particular family of genes, um, or it may be involved with a, a set of genes that play a particular function which is uh, you know, maybe uh, expressing serotonin or expressing um, uh, a, an inflammatory response in your body. So precision medicine um, can basically find a way to target either one gene or a small cluster of genes uh, and, and change the way that they function uh, to kind of turn down some of these negative health effects. So what's nice about precision medicine and personalized medicine is that it's always looking for that um, health-related effect. So it's not like we're going to go in and sort of push this button of this gene, uh, you know, without a clear idea of what it will do. The idea is that now we're looking at all of the genes in context, uh, which is how we start to look at the genome, so that there are uh, there's a very, very low risk of what we call unintended consequences, mm -hmm. or put another way, a low risk of side effects. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that um, precision medicine lowers the risk of side effects, uh, and it may lower, um, it may be a way of addressing some of these factors that are, are built environment and some of these factors that are societal or systemic um, uh, issues that, that may impact our health and drive a lot of these health disparities um, that we see. I think that brings us really full circle to how we started off the conversation talking about not just the genetics, but also the lifestyle and the environmental factors as well. Dr. Jackson, this was an incredible conversation, and I can't thank you enough for taking such a deep dive into answering my questions, our viewers' questions, our listeners' questions. Is there anything that we haven't asked or touched upon that you would like to leave us with? Um, gosh, I no, I think we 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 sort of touched on all of yeah. it. I'm, I'm always I'm always down to kind of do a, a like a much deeper dive if, if folks are interested. Um, but you know, I I want people to to dream big about mm -hmm. what a world could, would be like if everyone was, was well and had the right to be well. Um, you know, and, and I'm not here to, to show for all of us. Uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was an investigator for the study. I'm actually not an investigator for the study. So it's not like they're paying me to say this. Uh, <laughs> this is just something that I truly believe. Um, you know, I think it is our best shot. I think it is our best shot to make sure that everyone can be well. Um, and so whether you sign up for it or not, whether you encourage someone to sign up for it or not, um, please pay attention to it. Please yes. think about it. I do want people to think about it with that, with that context in mind. So not just for themselves, uh, but their, for, for their families and for future generations. Uh, this, is, this is our best bet. Absolutely. And to that point, too, and I know most of our audience are those diagnosed with breast cancer, but again, the All For Us program is for all ailments, right? It's Alzheimer's, it's, it's, it's diabetes, everything. it's absolutely everything. Yeah. And especially those of us with breast cancer, we're now more susceptible to all of these other 
issues that Mm -hmm. I call it whack-a-mole that something else is always popping up but even more important for us to be involved because it's it's really a grand scope and undertaking and it's great that we can be a part of that and have an active role in in the direction that medicine and science is going and so the last thing that I'll say, I, I, hopefully there's time for this, yeah. um, is, is, is sort of like, I, I don't know if you've heard about these, these new theories of cancer, of, of thinking about an etiological theory of, of cancer, where if somebody gets, say, breast cancer, uh, and then maybe, maybe later on it manifests as liver cancer or uh, may manifest as skin cancer or, or brain cancer, um, recognizing that there may be an underlying genetic etiology that connects all of these different kinds of cancers together. So if we if we truly get this right with an era of precision medicine, the idea is that you could treat a, a breast cancer and make sure that it doesn't recur in another part of the body later on. Um, and so that's that's the that's the that's the dream. That's the holy grail. The idea that when you're treating when you're treating disease, you are treating it at, in such an underlying precision way that it doesn't go away and then come back some other way later. Uh, in a maybe a more ag- aggressive or less treatable format. So that is the future that that we're planning for um, with studies like like the All of Us Research Study. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and wisdom and taking us on a deep dive of this. I'm sure like after most podcasts and webinars, my inbox, my inbox does explode with follow up questions because it's just like anything else, right? Once you hang up the phone, all the questions come swirling in. So I'm sure I will follow up with you. And maybe as you offered to kind of take even a deeper dive, have you as a guest on like as a blog writer for us, maybe kind of taking this Mm -hmm. a little bit further. Um, as a follow-up and second second round. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, Friday at five o'clock, we made it through another <laughs> week, you guys. We did it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for participating and being part of our community. All right. You as well, Laura. Please be well, everyone. Take care of yourself and uh, at least one other person if you can. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences, and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.